Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. We have a little bit of news to touch on this week, and then we are going to transition to talking about Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp and the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series, both of which are out right now. Joining me for that is Game Informer's Wesley LeBlanc. Wes, how are you doing today? I'm doing really, really good because of a little collection of games that you've already mentioned. It's, it's a good time to be a Final Fantasy fan. I have been waiting for this moment for a long time for these Pixel Remasters to come to consoles, and wouldn't you know it, one of the first platforms that it comes to outside of PC is the Switch. So we're going to talk about that during the main segment. Wes, you know how we usually do things here. Typically, the first thing that we talk about if you're a returning guest, which you are, uh, we skip over first Nintendo game, favorite Nintendo game, and we go right into some Pokemon news. But yeah. I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> this, but things have actually been pretty uncharacteristically quiet on that front lately. So we're actually going to start with another franchise that I know and love very, very much. And that is the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. Yeah. So the Sonic Cinematic Universe it's officially expanding now. We already knew that this was coming, but production has finally started on the live-action Knuckles series that is going to be streaming on Paramount+. And uh, the series spins off of the second Sonic movie, and it features a uh, pretty good cast, from what I can tell. So it features Idris Elba returning as Knuckles, so you already have the star power right off the bat. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Fowler, who directed Sonic 1 and Sonic 2, is returning to kind of be the showrunner of this series, so... You can probably expect a consistent tone there, which is always a good thing. And then according to Variety, uh, Adam Pally and Tika Sumter, who were in Sonic 1 and 2, they reprised their roles as Wade and Maddie from the movie. And then uh, they have new cast members to the Sonic universe, including Edie Patterson from The Righteous Gemstones, Julian Barat from Mindhorn, Scott Miscuddy, a.k.a. Kid Cuddy, uh, and then oh, Ellie, yeah, exactly. And then Ellie Taylor from Ted Lasso and then Rory McCann from Game of Thrones are joining the cast. So they're they're adding some some seasoned actors who you probably will recognize from various projects. Yeah. And then the plot apparently takes place after the events of Sonic 2 with Knuckles training Wade, who was the uh, one of the, the police officers in the town to be an echidna warrior. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that doesn't. I'm glad that it's taking place after two, because like any a prequel to two would have been kind of, yeah, because you kind of know where it ends up. But I like that it's taking place after. But training an officer to become a echidna warrior does not sound. That sounds like a, I don't know, like kind of Saturday morning cartoonish versus. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, this is like a kids' movie franchise, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've always thought like I, I like the Sonic movies uh, more than a lot of people do, I think. And I think that they're pretty well liked across gaming. I know Kyle Hilliard yeah, does not so. like them. Kyle Hilliard outwardly says they are bad movies. Oh, really? Um, I enjoyed them. Yeah. But I will say that anything involving the humans is just not anything I care about. So hopefully yeah. this does not fall into that camp at all. Um, it, like Sonic 2 was at its best when it was like, OK, yeah, let's send the humans off to a a wedding in Hawaii and not worry about them for large swaths of the story. Like the only human I really care about is Dr. Robotnik. Yeah. Which he might be done with the franchise. Or yeah. Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey <laughs> Jim Carrey might be done with acting. Yeah. It sounded like he might retire after Sonic two. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, that's the Sonic movie slash TV show news out of this. But Sonic's also getting some new Legos. Did you see this? I did. Yeah, I think I yeah, I wrote our story about so it. So we already have one set, which is I actually was 
I'm not a Lego guy, but I, I saw it sitting on the store shelf at Target and I was looking at, it. I picked it up and I was looking at the back and I'm like, oh, I remember writing like the report this was coming out, like when they first greenlit it. Cause it was one of those like community creations. And then like, I guess like mm. it got so popular that Lego eventually like greenlit it and got the official license and everything. And you can buy the, the single set. I think it's like a Green Hill Zone themed set. And it's pretty awesome. But I'm not a Lego guy. But this one I was very tempted. There's, every once in a while, I'll duck into the Lego store. And I will be super tempted by like one or two of them. And yeah. then I like think like, do I really need like more things around my house? Especially things that will break if like it falls. Yeah. And, and like, they're not cheap anymore. I remember. Oh, they're so like, expensive. Growing up, Lego was like a standard toy that like my parents would get me and then now i look at lego and i'm like i don't i don't have kids if i ever have kids though i'm not buying them like a hundred dollar set to play with as toys until they're like old enough to build it and understand like if they're too expensive what happened to lego well, what happened was all the people who grew up with legos now have adult money <laughs> true and they were and like the, the collectors got a hold of it and then yeah. that's when it, i mean look at retro video games yeah, like that's you should true. be able to go buy like a Super Nintendo cartridge for like five bucks at a local game store. And now it's like, oh, well, I want to play this obscure game from my childhood. All right, that'll be $150. Oof, yeah. It's the way it always works. I mean, Pokemon games and Zelda games especially are like the most egregious offenders there. Like, yeah, if you try to get like a sealed copy of Pokemon Heart Gold or Soul Silver. Like, good luck. I was in Japan recently and I was looking at retro games and they had a uh, pokemon emerald sealed and i really wanted it because emerald's probably my favorite but it was like 156 dollars and i was like oh gosh i i can't any even like a sealed crystal was like 130 and i'm just i want them i love them it'd be cool to have them but at the end of the day like i'm spending 130 bucks for something that's going to sit on a shelf by my desk and it's tough always that's kind of been like i've only gone to japan twice but that has been my tradition is i get a, a game in a box yeah uh, the last trip I got way too many games in boxes I think I came home with like six games whereas last time I just came home with <laughs> Ocarina of Time that was all I got when I was out there so Ocarina of Time's Japanese version this time I came back with two Mario games two Final Fantasy games a Street Fighter game and God, something else I don't know I can't even see it oh um, no I don't know what I got but <laughs> I came back they're all in my display Final case Final Fantasy game too but it was Final Fantasy 13 sealed and it was five dollars <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that's, I mean, when I go back out there, I really want to get a sealed copy of like red or blue, or I guess it would be green. Mm, green, that's yeah. What they have out there, yeah. But yeah, so getting back to this Lego story, we, we already have that one set. I don't need any more Sonic stuff or any more Lego stuff, but we're getting four more Lego sets uh, announced for, for the Sonic franchise. So the first one is Sonic's Speed Sphere. And this is like a little like ball that you can load the Sonic minifig into. And then there's like a a spring that you actually are meant to pound your fist into. Mm-hmm. And it sends the sphere flying. Like it sends him like really fast. And part like you can get the Sonic's Green Hill Zone Loop Challenge, which is another set. And you can build like a loop and then it has a ramp at the end of it. And then it jumps through a ring like a, like the like the large rings like in Sonic 3 and Knuckles and it looks like you can actually like try to set it up in a way that Sonic will it looks like he's spin dashing through this course which is really a cool concept that is yeah i think with all four sets you can um like connect them oh okay so yeah the other two are Amy's Animal Rescue and Tails Workshop and Tornado Island 
So those are the four. They're all going to be available starting August 1st. And there's also a Sonic Waffle waffle Maker. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, what? I did not see that. That's and, the more important news here. It's apparently going to be available as a prize at Dave & Buster's. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I make waffles quite often, and I already have a standard waffle maker, and then also a Pokeball waffle maker, which I've never I used I also before. have that one. I yeah. have never used it. Yeah. <laughs> it's still in the box, but I if actually I don't know if I, those. I don't think I've ever made waffles at home. What? Yeah, I'm a pancake guy to begin with. Yeah, but um, I like pancakes great as well. But like, come on, man. Waffles are where it's at. Like, it's it's a different consistency. I will same, say like four flavor. minutes from my house, I have a waffle house. So, okay. If I need like, a waffle fix, especially when it's like 1 a.m., I go to the waffle house. I go to the waffle house when you can make your place a waffle home. Oh. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, Sega News keeps coming here. Uh, the company has announced that it is acquiring the developer behind Angry Birds, Rovio. So according to Sega, the acquisition was a, quote, friendly takeover. <laughs> because yeah. it had the approval of Rovio's board of directors. And then Rovio's CEO, I'm assuming this is Alexandre Pelletier Normand, said, uh, and then you can react to this quote after I finish reading it, quote, Red and Sonic the Hedgehog, two globally recognized and iconic characters made by two remarkably complementary companies with a worldwide reach that spans mobile, PC, slash console, and beyond. Combining the strengths of Rovio and Sega presents an incredibly exciting future. So, first of all, I don't disagree that these companies do actually complement each other. Like, they have similar tones in a lot of their games. And, like, I would even say there's a lot of similarities between, like, the Angry Birds franchise and, like, the Monkey Ball franchise. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that I'm learning that Red is the name of the bird. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's two movies. So maybe if I watched those movies, I would know that. Like everybody knows what he looks like. I was an obsessive Angry Birds player back when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And like I, I, everybody knows what he looks like. He's a very iconic looking character, but I don't think he's on the same level as Sonic in terms of like pop culture icon. Oh, not at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> But do you think like Sega does anything interesting with the Angry Birds IP? Um, I don't think they're going to do anything surprising. I could see maybe more movies happening since Sega is like continuing to dip into movies via Sonic. And there's already been two Angry Birds movies that I think were at least like successful. I don't know if they were well liked, but um, you know, money. And then I don't know. You know, Sega's got like a interesting staple of games on uh, mobile platforms, and Angry Birds is not a bad mobile IP to have. Mm-mm um so i mean at one point it was the largest yeah so i don't know if this is going to be like anything you know earth shattering but i wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of continue the course for angry birds and make more money off of it sure yeah i mean this is uh, rovio obviously knows how to make good games and so it's another good acquisition you know sega's acquired a few studios most notably i would say atlas that was another big acquisition they had uh I guess that was what it was six years ago at this point, five or six years ago that they acquired Atlas. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a pretty big get for them. I mean, this is not on that same level, but it's uh, it's a pretty good one, and I'm excited to see what they can do with this IP now that they have the resources of Sega because that you know it seems like they're pumping a lot of a lot of money into in like investing in these IPs that they own. Like we're seeing the Akuza series finally like getting the attention it deserves, and yeah. I mean, Persona is just blowing up. Every I feel like every single day I get a, oh, Persona 5 has a new collaboration with the mobile game. 
So like, there's got to be some synergy there that they have. So we'll we'll see what they end up doing with that. But we have one more piece of Sega news. It's just oh. Sega had a busy week. Uh, this time, the news is a little bit more related to Nintendo specifically. We have four Genesis games that have been added to the Nintendo Switch Online catalog. There's Street Fighter II Special Championship Edition, which you know, finally a way to play Street Fighter II on Switch. Uh, we have Kid <laughs> Chameleon. We have Pulse Man. Which do you know what Pulse Man is? Yeah, I've never played it, but I've wanted to. That's the um, the Game Freak uh, like side scroller or platformer. Yeah, so maybe? it's a platformer from the studio that ended up making Pokemon. I mean, they released it two years later. Four oh, years really? Later. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so Pokemon. Yeah, it was 1996 in Japan, right? Pokemon. Yeah, Pokemon's 96 uh... in Japan, I think. Yes. Yes. That it was right. 98 yeah. in the U.S. That's what I was. That was my confusion. It was at 96 in Japan and then 98 in the U.S. But so yeah, two years before they hit it big with Pokemon, they released this game Pulse Man on the Sega Genesis. And <laughs> the funny note that I, I pulled here is that it takes place in the distant future of 2015. <laughs> and then uh, the final one is Flicky, which is an arcade game that stars the uh, the Blue Bird that is now a Sonic the Hedgehog mainstay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember writing Flicky when I was doing the Lego set story, and I was like, I have no idea who Flicky is. And Flocky and some other characters I've never heard of. I'm not, yeah. I haven't played all the Sonic games, so I only know the mainstays. So yeah, Flicky is just a, a little blue bird that has appeared in several Sonic games. Cool. Usually Sonic is trying to free him. So uh, yeah, those are now available. If you have a Switch Plus Online or a Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack subscription, do any of those make it seem like you really need to play it? Um, I mean, I want to check out Pulse Man, but I don't know if I'll I actually do that. And I've already got the Street Fighter 2 whatever the switch one is with the weird first person mode. So. Oh, ultra. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, there's like so many, there's also the street fighter anniversary collection. Um, I think street fighter two is on the SNES catalog as well, but I guess like hmm. if you grew up playing the Genesis version specifically, then this is a cool, like nostalgia thing. Like I grew up playing the SNES version specifically. So I like playing street fighter two turbo, which that, that's actually the one that I ended up buying in Japan was street fighter two oh, turbo. Nice. And it happened to be that I was there for Street Fighter Six, so it, it had to make sense thematically as well. Yeah, yeah. I've kind of thought about jumping into two lately, especially when I saw this news, just because like I I really want to get into six, and I've never really played a Street Fighter two too much. Um, but I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna wait for six. It's like what uh, two months away, a month yeah, away, basically, a month and a half. Um, I'm gonna make it my. I really, I really want to try to like play that game, not just like go through the story, but like you know, get good at it. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's some really good books out there. Um, there's one, God, I forget what the the outlet was, but they put out like a little like ebook from Masher to Master. It was called, oh. and I actually read that back when Street Fighter Five was coming out, and it's it's only a like it's a very short read, so it just kind of gives you like some strategies from high level players, just kind of some ways that you can better yourself and like ways you can practice to get better. And I definitely noticed a, a jump in my game. I'm still not an amazing player by any stretch, but I, I was definitely more on the masher side before that. Now I feel like I have a lot more strategy and a lot more control over my characters, but I still do fall into a lot of those like kind of noob tendencies. But like, I don't know. I, I feel like I held my own when I visited Capcom uh, late last year and was playing with the director and the producer. And of course they were going easy on me because I know, especially the director is like super good at street. Yeah, Fighter. That would be terrifying. I don't like, I'd be so stressed having to play against the director i guess in a game like that that's 
that's but it's also like a really cool thing to say you did yeah and we even went to the arcade which you can go find that uh that yeah. video on our youtube channel and i was playing street fighter 2 against the producer of street fighter 6 which was super fun just sitting in an arcade playing against him in osaka so go check I, uh, out that video on youtube when i was in japan recently i was just going through like an 8-4 arcade just to kind of take it all in and I was didn't really play any games except Street Fighter Two. I was like, I feel like I have to play this one. It seems, and it was it's so cool to see like how popping it was. Like the entire row of like ten Street Fighter Two boxes was full of people playing and playing against each other. And I was like watching like it was a tournament. So it's cool, such an amazing experience. And yes, every single time I go to one of those, I have to sit down and play Street Fighter Two. It's just it it's it was the phenomenon that you know I remember taking part in over here in the states, and it was yeah. cool to kind of like sit down on one of those machines that I don't know if it's one of the ones that existed way back then, or if they're kind of like restored machines or whatever, but like, it's, it feels like you're playing a part of history when you sit down in those arcades and play street fighter two. I agree. Um, but let's transition to the kind of the bigger Nintendo news out of this week. And that is that Nintendo streamed an indie world presentation, which gave us some news about several upcoming indie titles and a couple of surprise releases. Wes, I know you've seen this a couple of times now. Yeah. What, what were the standout games for you? Um, for me, I think Maneko's or Maneko's Night Market, just because um, I had I, I forgot that that game was announced or like revealed like five five it's or four been years a ago, and now we have a release date. It's coming very soon in September. That was um one of the standouts for me. Um, going through the list here, Crime O'Clock was one that. Oh, really? um, Looks cool. I like the Where's, Where's Waldo style map and like you're solving mysteries and crime cases through time and watching how it affects different timelines. Um, obviously, you know, who knows how it'll pan out, but that's an interesting um, pitch to me. And then uh, Oxenfree 2, of course, that's, you know, I'm excited for that. Played it back in 2016 and now finally, God, seven years later, we're going to play the sequel this July. And then Blasphemous 2, I think. I haven't played the first Blasphemous. I own it, and I want to play it. I just I respect it that well. game so much. It looks so cool, and it's a it's a unique setting, and it's interesting to see like a studio play around with like Catholicism. Which because when I was a kid, like I would go to my grandparents' house in the summer, and, and you know they lived across the country, and my grandma would take me to Catholic church with her, and I used to think it was like so like not like scary but like kind of spooky and haunt like just the way they like the organs and the way they sing songs and all that stuff and this game kind of feels like a, a take on catholicism in that way where it's just like the spookier elements of the bible brought to life yeah i mean it seems like some really cool themes in that i also bought blasphemous way back in the day i think this was not not way back in the day like i think it was like last year like early la early 2022 maybe i bought it like yeah I had a guest on, uh, Kylie Parker, who um, she does a lot of like toy photography and everything, and, and she does some contract work with Nintendo. And this was her eShop gem of the week, I believe. If I'm not, if I'm not confusing her pick with somebody else's, and the way she described it, like I was like, oh yeah, I am all in on this. And then I just never really had a chance to fire it up because you know I just am so busy with playing all these different games, trying to keep up, and. Then they announced Blasphemous 2. I'm like, well, crap, I guess I should probably play Blasphemous 1 because yeah. this comes out this summer. Like Blasphemous 2 is, is you know, at at longest, like four months away. Yeah, it's sometime this summer. And 
Uh, I mean, the first game is tough, apparently. I have That's a friend who loves it, but he still like hasn't beaten it. And he's usually pretty good at these types of games. So, like, yeah, if you want to beat the first one before the second one, it might be good to start sooner than later. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's some some pretty big games coming out between now and then. Are there? Yeah, oh, no. Just a few. <laughs> uh, but the, the other ones that kind of stuck out to me, uh, you've mentioned a lot of them, but uh, Cult of the Lamb Relics of the Old Faith DLC, it adds, like, new followers it adds new um like abilities and weapons and everything that comes out next week april 24th yeah. uh, maybe that's a good reason for me to get back to that game because i loved what i played of it i just kind of fell off of it um, oh yeah you should beat it it's fun yeah I, I think i beat the first two bosses so i gotta get reasonably deep yeah. into it um animal well which i played at summer game fest last year and i really liked that that was before it was signed by uh by donkey's uh yeah. publishing company that really he strange and jarring to see video game donkey the popular youtuber just appear on a nintendo indie world showcase screen and even funnier was that the way that donkey and the games developer shot it they were just like it looked like they just used like a phone camera to shoot them talking about the game in front of a lake um, yeah and it was very I guess very video game donkey style. It was very much let's go for a hike and maybe we'll shoot a video while we're out there. Yeah. Um that that game was super fun when I played it out in uh in LA last summer. That comes out this winter. Um you mentioned Oxenfree 2. That that I've never played Oxenfree 1 and this trailer made me think maybe I should because it looked really cool. It's really cool. It's um it's just a lot of uh, like narrative, really. The gameplay is not anything too spectacular, but it tells a really good story. And it's short. I think it's like five to seven hours, maybe. If you like spooky paranormal stuff, um, I'd give it a go. I think former Game Informer editor J.V. Gwaltney was a big fan of Oxenfree. And I know there's some people on staff who are, are huge fans of Oxenfree as well. So but this is one that I think is circled on a lot of Game Informer editors' calendars. Yeah. That's uh, July 12th. And then uh, the two that we haven't mentioned yet that really caught my eye, uh, Rift of the Necrodancer, which is coming out mm. this year at some point. That just, you know, a rhythm game that I guess it's a full-on sequel to Crypt of the Necrodancer. And, you know, we, we had a spinoff from that. If you, The one that I would say that people should play, especially if you're listening to this podcast and you're a big fan of Zelda, is uh, Cadence of Hyrule, which is a Crypt of the Necrodancer spinoff. And basically, you go out there and you're you you move through Hyrule to the beat of Zelda music that has been reimagined, and you have to take on like classic Zelda enemies and everything. And it is it's really fun. So I've wanted if, to play that for so long. Um, and every it, time I go into like a GameStop or a store selling games and I see the physical version, I'm like, maybe today, but I haven't yet. I mean, just get it on the eShop. I'm sure it's on sale. I, I bet it's on sale right now. With it's weird with Switch games. If I'm buying it, I usually like to get physical. I don't know why. I think I just really like the Switch cases so much because I don't really that, care about PS5 or Xbox too much. But That is the exact the opposite cases. as me because <laughs> here's the thing. I want to go to – like when I travel, the Switch is what I bring, right? It's my Switch and my phone and my iPad. Those are the three yeah. devices that I bring. I don't want to carry a stack of games or like a, like a bunch of carts in a thing. I don't want to be like dropping my carts on my plane. and That's fair, yeah. So like that's the thing for me is I always am making sure that I have my Switch games digital. And I mean, the rest of my consoles at this point are digital as well. But the the, the portable consoles were always the ones that I went digital first. Mm. And then eventually I was like, all right, fine. You know, I'm sick of having like boxes and boxes full of game 
boxes. And <laughs> I mean, like literally I was looking in my storage and I still have like three tubs full of games. And I was just like, should I just donate these or something? <laughs> because Damn. I just, I, they've been in storage for a couple of years now because I've just gone full digital. Switch cases stay or switch cases, switch games. I feel like physical retain a lot of value compared to like other consoles. Fortunately. That's fair. Um, but Rift of the Necrodancer is out this year. And then the last one, they kind of just sizzle reeled it, which I was surprised because I think a lot of people are yeah. excited for this. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. That comes out August 18th. And that was a release date announcement that they kind of just like, hey, here's some other games that we want to show you. And yeah, that I was the not, last one. I try not to read too much into things like that, but it is weird. Like that's a big game that a lot of people are excited for. And for it to just get a little sizzle reel and a release date like that could have been its own if you would have like sent a press release that would have been a news story for the day like bomb rush cyberpunk cyberfunk release date announced people are really stoked about that and so for it to just get like a you know five second flash in a trailer it's very weird to me it is yeah and so people for people who don't know that is kind of like a spiritual successor to jet set radio or jet Mm -hmm. grind radio depending on how you know it and they even have the original composer coming back to make music for this one. So that's one that a lot of people are really excited about. But yeah, those are the ones that stood out to me. Uh, Minico's Night Market was another one that you mentioned that I thought looks really cool. And also, of course, there's a game called Little Kitty Big City. Yeah. Which I'm excited for that. That seems just like open world, worry-free stray. Right, yeah. And a standard, I think it's like New York or something, not some dystopian cyberpunk world (laughs) yeah so i mean what's not to like but that's the indie world presentation we have some news about the super mario brothers movie which we've had we've covered extensively over the past couple of episodes so wes just want to get your quick thoughts you've seen the movie now right yes i've seen it twice actually i saw with friends and then uh, i saw with my nephew he was like very cute and facetimed me and he was like can you please take me to see the movie that's right yeah you did tell us that and then I had some friends who wanted to go, and I was like, yeah, it's like 80 minutes of my life. I'll go see it again. I had a good time. <laughs> so overall thoughts. We, again, we don't need to dwell too much on this because I'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing about the Mario movie at this point, but go yeah. ahead. I I really liked it. It's I, it's doing exactly what it clearly wants to do, which is you know speak to fans of the franchise who are going to find all the little references and then also be a totally serviceable movie for people, you know, like my nephew who's eight and he just wants to see Mario do some cool stuff. Um, I mean, he was like, it was fun watching it through his eyes because he was like excited whenever they were on the carts and he was like pointing out that that's like Mario Kart 8. And he was asking where the hat from uh, Odyssey is because that's what he's currently playing. And I was like, oh, maybe it'll show up in a different movie. And um, yeah, like I think... seeing this movie with like kids around you is like very cool because you can see their reactions this is a this is going to be a big deal and i'm i imagine one of the stories we're about to talk about is just how big of a deal (laughs) this movie is going to be yeah so basically the story here is that it hit another major milestone early this week so it's probably even higher at this point but variety reported earlier this week that it had crossed 500 million dollars at the global box office and as of this recording Heading into its third weekend in theaters, it is sitting at more than $700 million worldwide. So it's in the time since that Variety report, it's picked up another 200 mil. Yeah, which, that is, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, the records just keep stacking up. It's like Illumination's biggest hit by far. I yeah, think. it's Illumination's biggest hit. It is the highest grossing video game movie ever, and it is the highest grossing film of 2023 so far. So does any of that surprise you? Not at all, no. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I the second this movie got announced, I was like, yeah, this is a billion dollar movie. It doesn't even need to be good. It's awesome that it is good. Um, but you put Mario on a screen, it's going to make a lot of money. And I am excited because I imagine the executives at Illumination and Nintendo are just plotting out an entire universe of Nintendo movies. I mean, Seth Rogen told me on this very show that he wants to do a Donkey Kong solo show or solo movie. So I would not be surprised if we got that. And that would be of, awesome. I but think they Luigi's need to, Mansion is the shoe in, right? Yeah, Luigi's Mansion has to happen. If they do Donkey Kong, I, my biggest critique of the movie is Cranky Kong. It He did not work for me. I, I think that's Fred Armisen. And yeah. I don't know what that voice he was going for is, but it just does not fit cranky kong and i kind of just hated every time he was on screen a lot of people are throwing out that that criticism as well and yeah he, he didn't work for me super well either but not to the point that i was like all right get this guy off my screen and he was he was done soon enough you know yeah exactly it was just it's such an odd i mean i don't i don't guess i guess there's not like too much lore behind cranky kong but like he's an old dude like a old well, he's the original donkey grandpa. kong yeah and this one he seemed I don't know. I guess I was looking for someone more like Grandpa. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in the first Donkey Kong Country, like, which was like his first real appearance, he yeah. uh, as Cranky Kong anyway. He was just yelling about how newfangled games aren't like they used to be and yeah. stuff like that. So I don't know how well that would really translate to the uh, the big screen. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you largely in in your your thoughts on the movie, and I think that this it's this franchise is just going to keep blowing up and I bet this movie's going to cross a billion before too long, especially since it's not even out in certain markets. Like I don't think it's out in Japan yet. Right? No, it's not. And um, yeah, I was just reading a story about how they're going to spike will be called spike in Japan. Um, like they're changing that character's name uh, to be spike everywhere when it oh. comes out in Japan. I didn't know, but the original name for spike in the Japanese version of Mario is like not a great name. It's kind, oh, it's, no. kind, it's kind of offensive. It is um his his name in that was Blackie. And they are changing it from Blackie to Spike to match the rest of the movie's releases elsewhere. Yeah, that's probably a good call. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, so I don't think it's out in Japan yet because I was reading that story today about how when it comes out in Japan, the new name will be Spike. Interesting. Yeah. I um I, I yeah, I think that's a good call. And yeah, once it hits Japan, I feel like that's going to easily push it over the billion mark if it's not already there by then. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I. It's going to be awesome. Still, yeah. still, still so absurd to me that we don't have a new Mario game or anything tying into that. I, I think that it's probably going to happen this summer. Like if I had to guess, I think they're going to get Tears of the Kingdom out. They're going to do the full marketing thing, give it a little bit of a, 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 a blast radius and then I think this summer they're going to announce some big things. If it's not like, all right, a Mario game's coming later this year, then it's going to be like a Mario game is in the works. You know, I think they're kind of trying to let us focus on one big flagship yeah. franchise at a time here. And I would not be surprised if like the, the traditional E3 timeframe is not when we get some big stuff either for this year or next year. Yeah, that's fair. It just, that's my prediction anyway. Just a mat. Like I, I know, I mean, I'm sure that they are very aware of it, but the, the synergy they could have had go see this movie and then have a new game even if it's like i don't know, I mean i guess not a movie tie-in but something new out there for you know someone who wants to buy mario games 
Yeah, well, I mean, they have plenty of Mario games on Switch as it is, so I'm that sure is that a lot of these people... I'm sure they've seen their, their sales skyrocket, because like, I think that a lot of people yeah. probably left that theater wanting to play a Mario game, whether that meant they went out and bought a, a Switch altogether, or if that means like, oh, I already have a Switch, let me buy Mario Odyssey or Mario 3D World. Like, yeah, I think, I think those so. Are, I mean, there, there was the Mario Day sale that I don't know if that was going on when the movie came out. I think it wraps up in a couple of days here, if I'm not mistaken. I thought they had like a full month kind of blocked off with that. Mm-hmm. yeah so they were selling we'll, that combo pack with the red mario yeah Switch. they did that that's true yeah that that probably helped as well but um speaking of tears of the kingdom that's what we're going to end the news segment with here wesley um Ooh. a couple of quick things here i mentioned last week when we went over the final pre-launch trailer that i thought that ganondorf's voice was none other than that of persona overwatch and resident evil voice actor matthew mercer and it turns out I was right. <laughs> I didn't want to get too sure of myself because, yeah. like, you know, I've actually spent time with the guy. I've, I've, we, we, we've uh, we've seen each other multiple times in person. Humble brag. I, I hung out with him at the Fortnite party at E3 one year, which was fun. Turns out he's a big music nerd, which is awesome because so am I. That is awesome. And uh, so I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, like, that's him totally. Because then, like, if, if I'm wrong, then that makes me really look bad. <laughs> and, like, you know, voice actors are chameleons. So it's it's also, like, you don't want to get too sure. But yeah, Mercer did confirm that he is, in fact, the voice of Ganondorf in The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and he put out a series of tweets. Here's what he had to say. He said, quote, I just got the go-ahead from Nintendo, so I can finally announce my absolute pleasure to be voicing Ganondorf in The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, an immense honor that I have thrown myself into doing justice. And then he continued in subsequent tweets saying, quote, I have been an immense Legend of Zelda fan since I was a child, and Ganondorf has been one of my favorite antagonists to the point where I portrayed this green-skinned menace for my web series over a decade ago. I actually knew about that. That was that was uh, very funny and uh, to, to see this come full circle. And then uh, he continued, Many of you know the weight of expectation on my shoulders for this, and I hope to do you proud. A huge thank you to Nintendo and the entire Tears of the Kingdom team for entrusting me with such a badass. So how are you feeling about Ganondorf's portrayal in the trailer so far? It's great. I think it's the best Ganondorf has ever been. And I also, I, I mean, we've only seen like 30 seconds of this Ganondorf and it's, he's, it just goes so hard whenever I forget the line, but whatever that one line is where he's like bear witness to the birth of a new kingdom or whatever, that goes so hard. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I don't want to save Hyrule. I'm, I'm folding in with Ganondorf, whatever he <laughs> needs. Like that's what Link's doing. <laughs> Yeah, and then the first trailer where we the trailer where we first heard his voice, where he kind of gives like that the rise, like that. Yeah, yeah, that was a really cool monologue and like lay waste to leave no survivors. Like, man, he's he's going for it. I love it. It's this nice to have like need. yeah, Ganondorf with personality and um, again, like it's nice. It's gonna be refreshing and and if if they hired Mercer, that tells me like we must be getting a lot of this Ganondorf. I don't know. You don't spend big money on a voice actor and only have them say like four lines, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I really am looking forward to seeing not only how he brings this character lifts. I think he's one of the most talented voice actors working currently mm-hmm. in video games. Yep. But also like just I want to see like more of this story, but I'm kind of happy that we haven't. We just get like little tastes of it, right? Like the last trailer, mm-hmm. it we got some glimpses of Ganondorf finally, but also like it looks like we had demise and all kinds of things happening, like different characters from Breath of the Wild popping up. So there's some really cool stuff that might go down in this story and I really, really am excited. Like I'm almost as excited for the story as I am for like the other stuff. So 
hopefully yeah. I, I like that they're playing their cards close to the vest, but hopefully we get uh, some more information about some of this stuff uh, in relative short order because I I'm champing at the bit here. I think uh, I'm ready to just like go media blackout. I mean, it's tougher to do with this job because we do cover things, yeah. but like if I don't have to watch something or read about something, I'm going to do my best not to because I'm so sold and I just want as much of that game to be new to me as possible. It's going to be, uh, I just cannot wait. I'm, I'm, I'm already telling my wife like, Hey, May is going to be a lot of breath or a lot of tears of the kingdom. Just so you know. Oh, I've, I've already informed my partner that I'm just going to be like, yep. Just so you know, don't let's not schedule anything in the evenings <laughs> yeah. for yeah. like two weeks here because yeah. that's just all I'm going to be doing basically. It's I'm going on a vacation at the end of May. Um, and I've already like told my friends and stuff that I'm going with like, Hey, just so you know, if there's any downtime, you will see a switch in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for this game as you might imagine. But finally, Nintendo has released the main theme of tears of the kingdom through its Japanese website. And it is so good. And we're actually going to go into our first break listening to a portion of it so the listeners of this fine podcast can get a taste. When we get back, we will be chatting about a couple of new Switch releases for this week. We will be right back. Originally scheduled to come out in 2022, Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp was delayed in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but now, one year after it was originally set to arrive, the collection came out on Switch today. So I have played a little bit of this. We have our full review up on GameInformer.com, but I just wanted to give kind of my initial impressions of this game, this collection, I guess you would say. But first, Wes, do you have any history with the Advance Wars series or any like awareness of it? I have basically zero. Whenever the remaster got announced is when I learned Advance Wars was a thing, which oh, I wow. guess is a problem because like, I'm a big fan of Fire Emblem, so I feel like I need to jump on this series. Yeah, like I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that you didn't even have an awareness of it. Um, so the first two came out on Game Boy Advance, and I think there was one additional one that came out on DS... And this one gathers the first two. So it's just the Game Boy Advance games. It's Advance Wars 1 and Advance Wars 2 Black Hole Rising. Those have been remastered and are available in this collection. But basically, you know, it it's pretty faithful. It allows you to go into the, the campaigns and just experience these stories like as they were originally laid out. And, you know, you have improved visuals. You have better like animations and everything better graphics but really it's pretty faithful and it's nice that they're bringing more of these games over it is kind of surprising that we got this shortly after the game boy advance collection started appearing on nintendo switch yeah um so i I wonder how they're going to differ i mean i'm assuming they had this in development for a long time before nintendo had that plan to bring game boy advance onto switch but like it's Still kind of like, how where, how are they going to draw the line there? Like, we've talked about this where like, all right, Pokemon, if they wanted to do like the Game Boy Advance games on to Switch, like, would they be standalone or would they appear on the Game Boy Advance catalog? Like, that, how would they handle that? And I think that if they did like a remaster, it would probably be like this. But otherwise, I think it needs to go on the, the catalog. I, I think it would be very weird to try to sell standalone games that aren't remastered in any kind of way. 
You think so though with Pokemon? I don't like people would buy it. I would buy it. Unfortunately, they would buy it, but it would also yeah. be like, all right, well, what's the point of this thing if we're not getting the biggest games in it? Yeah, like, that's fair. But Advance Wars One Plus Two, I don't know if it's One Plus Two or One and Two <laughs> reboot camp. I'm having a really good time with it. I'm not super deep. I'm a few missions into the first game, and uh, I've got to say, it it runs really smooth. It translates well to the Joy Cons and the kind of the Pro Controller that I've been using. And, uh, you know, it's it's just really sound turn-based tactics. I don't think it has the depth of a Fire Emblem, but it has very similar mechanics in that, like, you know, the, the commanding officers all have CO powers, um, one of which, like, kind of makes it so your, your characters are lucky for a turn, which means they get more critical hits. Um, but, yeah, you, you have a lot of different, uh, like, troop types at your disposal different units that's the word i was looking for um so like you know there's tanks there's infantrymen there's air support there's artillery which you know can do longer range shots but can't move and fire on the same turn and it's very like kind of modern war themed which you know it's it's nice to kind of return to that because the the game that i've always recommended to people to check out in the absence of advanced wars was a game called wargroove which is very much inspired by the Advance War series. Did you ever play Wargroove? No, I didn't. I've maybe I have it. Is it? I think it's on Xbox too, right? Yeah, I think I might yeah, have it I, downloaded from Game Pass, but I've never actually started it up. That's the you, one with the dogs and stuff. Yeah, I think there's dogs. There's it's medieval and like kind of like fantasy themed. Mm. So I think there are I think there are dogs in that one. It's I haven't played since it first came out, but I, I remember playing that and be like, oh yeah, this is just Advance Wars. And I had a great time. There's, an, there's a Wargroove 2 coming at some point, I think in the next year or so, that was just recently announced. But Yes, that's right, yeah. It's nice to have this game take us back to kind of the modern modern combat setting. Because, I don't know, I, I'm more partial to that than I am kind of like the the knights on horseback and all those kinds of units. I, I much prefer kind of like the, the infantrymen with, with like rocket launchers and the air support coming in and like the aircraft carriers and that type of stuff. Like that, that's kind of, that appeals to me more, but does this sound like a game that you're going to want to check out? I think, I, I don't know. I go back and forth um, with it because uh, I'm kind of like the opposite of you where I, I'm not too interested in the idea of like tanks and, and war and guns and stuff. I like the more f- fantastical approach that fire emblem and other games have. Um, but you know, I do really love these types of games, and I know that this one's pretty beloved. So I think if I played it, I'd probably just jump right to two based on our review on the site, where one kind of sounds like just a prolonged tutorial, where two is where it kind of gets into the the meat of the series. Um, but yeah, it might, it might be something I pick up one day. It's also worth noting that there's multiplayer, both online and local. Oddly enough, you can do more uh players local than you can online like you can only do two players online but if you have like wow. interesting if you have four people locally you can do four player which i don't understand how that works i haven't gathered four people to play it uh, but then there's also a map creator which is kind of cool where wargroove kind of actually carried that even further they let you kind of create your own campaign which is really cool but yeah i mean this is it's a uh, it's a really sound strategy game, turn based, grid based, and I mean honestly, if you like Fire Emblem, it's probably going to be up your alley. And yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm very happy that this is finally out, and you know it's 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 a long time coming at this point because we learned about it what in 2020, I think. 
Yeah. I don't know when it was yeah. first announced, but yeah. It's finally here, and it seems like it was worth the wait. Um, we had a freelancer review it for us, uh, Josh Broadwell, and he gave it an 8.5 out of 10. And uh, his quote here was, Advance Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp might not include much new material, but it presents a strong case that classic games don't always have to change to be relevant again. Sometimes they just need a second chance. And honestly, that line alone sold me on checking this game out, and that's why I've been doing it. And I'm having a great time, and with so much coming on the horizon, like Star Wars Jedi Survivor and Tears of the Kingdom, I don't know how much more I'm going to play of it, but I, I think it's definitely a worthwhile play. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a very good strategy game. It's not my favorite strategy game. My favorite would probably be XCOM 2, hmm. just because that's kind of more my, my speed where there's like a lot of risk-reward balancing. Um, yeah. This is much more straightforward than that, I think. But yeah, I'm, I'm liking it. It's out now on Switch. So I, the other game that I wanted to talk about with you is more of a series. It is yeah. the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series. So I know that you've been checking this out a little bit. I got to ask you before we jump into your impressions, what game did you start with? I started with Final Fantasy 1. Wow. Um, yeah. That's unexpected. It is. Uh, I was talking with uh, Marcus. We did a new game play today on YouTube that you can go check out right now if you want to see how these games look and feel and hear us reminisce. Um, weirdly enough, I mean, I think six is the best of these games, but like one might be my favorite only because I just have such fond memories of picking up the UMD of Final Fantasy one and playing it on my PSP oh my and God. being like, this is the game that like started this series. I already love. Cause I'd played a bunch of others at that point. Um, and yeah, like booting it up on switch. I was like, ah, it's, it's nostalgic and it's simplicity. Like you start the game. There's like a couple sentences of setup as the, you know, the little, fmv plays or cutscene and then you talk to the king for two seconds and you're on your way to go find garland and save uh, the king's daughter and there's like something it's just nostalgic but i mean six is the best one that was the second game i checked out for sure yeah i mean six is the one that everybody just instantly goes to i know that four is also much beloved i think those are the kind of the two mainstays that people will tell you like oh yeah you yeah. need to play those two games if you're going to play like the classic final fantasy games like i think that it kind of goes like all right the classic series you got to play four and you got to play six mm -hmm. the modern series you kind of got to play seven and you got to play ten and or like i guess like the contemporary series would be seven and ten and then the modern series i think that a lot of people will tell you uh don't bother no, I'm. No. I, I think I, I'm a big fan of both 13 and 15, but and I, 12. I think I'm gonna show some love to 12. I love 12. I could never get into 12, but I also haven't played the uh, the Zodiac Age remake or remaster that they it's did really that, good. that streamlined a lot of stuff. But yeah, yeah. So I think four and six are kind of the winners here if you're not sure where to start with this. But it's I think it's a cheaper endeavor to buy the bundle, but it's still pretty expensive. I think it's 75 dollars for the full bundle. Yeah, if you want to play all of these, get the bundle. But, you know, if you're only interested in checking out the highlights like four and uh, six, like we just talked about, then, yeah, obviously buy them separately. So have you checked out any of the new features? I did, yeah. Um, so I'll kind of just go down them because there's a, a good bit. The um, Probably my favorite is the fact that you can change soundtracks at any time in these games. So mm -hmm. you can play the classic version, which is like, you know, the NES or SNES, like, uh, you know, retro sound like that's the 
what it sounded like back in the day. Or you can switch to an arrangement version, which is going to be like a modern day orchestral arrangement, um, which is really cool. It's fun playing uh, Final Fantasy One and switching back and forth on the on the home screen to hear the prelude like as it was and now as it is. Um, so I think that's really cool. You can change the fonts. Oh my gosh. It's I know a, that was the biggest the big deal. Yeah, for a lot of people. <laughs> it's um, I mean, yeah, the modern day font was pretty ugly. Uh, I, the, the font conversation was still extremely surprising to me. I was telling Marcus, like other than when it comes to accessibility, cause you know, that's a very important thing when it comes to fonts and caption sizes and all that. Um, I think this game might have the most talked about fonts of all time. <laughs> um, but it's always been that way. I remember when they put Final Fantasy VI on mobile phones. Oh, everybody that, was like, "Oh, yeah. the font is awful." And I feel like, like those huh? the mobile versions were just completely lambasted because those were that was like the weird three D like soft looking art style. They kind of got rid of all the pixel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. Um, but yeah, you can switch between. Uh, the modern font, which is like the one that you probably have seen that people dislike, or you can switch to a new pixel based font. That's uh, the classic feel. I have seen some people still not super thrilled with the classic font because the spacing is still a little strange. Um, Like you'll have a whole box for text, but the classic font won't come close to filling it up. Uh, Personally, I'm not like, you know, the, the font's not the biggest deal in the world to me, so I haven't paid it too much attention, but I know it's a, a hot topic for some people. And then probably my favorite features would be what I would call the things you can do to expedite the games. Um, so you can turn off random encounters completely, which uh, is cool. If you just want to kind of get the story, uh, you can do that. Keep in mind, you'll still need to like somehow level up uh, because you can't just take down bosses if you've been skipping random encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, but to accommodate random encounters, uh, or the lack of, if you don't want that on, there's boost features and, um, you can boost your experience by, I think 0.5, one, which would just be standard experience gain two, and then four times. So if you wanted That's to incredible. skip, yeah, if you wanted to skip a lot of random encounters, you could, and then go and turn on that, uh, four times experience boost spend an hour grinding and I think you'd be set. Um, so that's, that's a really cool thing. And then you can do the same with Gil. You can do the same with the money that you earn. Oh, um, really? Yeah. You can change that. I was to wondering f- about that. Yeah. Four times or two times. So you could turn off random encounters for a lot of the game, then go turn on four times Gil and four times experience boost, level up quickly, get a lot of Gil quickly, go buy the best weapons and then kind of be on your merry way, which I think is, you know, that's good. I don't, if you're someone who's like, I want to play these six games to experience like, you know, the first six games in Final Fantasy history, I don't think you necessarily need to do the grinding that each game has. Um, you know, you're kind of here to get like, okay, what are the big hits of these games? Um, and these features allow you to do that. Um, I know I'll be using them. And um, yeah, I I haven't, uh, there uh, something I think I would like would be in Final Fantasy XII, the remaster Zodiac Age, you can turn on like your movement speed to different uh, levels. Like you can sprint through twelve, and I th- I wish something like that was in here, and maybe there is. I haven't you know dug too deep into these games yet, but in the options and stuff, I have not found. It wasn't advertised with that, so yeah. I doubt it. It's a feature I wish was in every single of uh, Final Fantasy Remaster. I think seven, when it came to PS4 and Switch, has that feature, if I'm not mistaken, and I love it because uh, yeah, walking four times faster in those games like really speeds up playing through them. Um, and it's one of my biggest complaints about the Final Fantasy X and X-2 
uh, remasters that those came out before they started implementing that. So you still have to play those games at like standard speed, I think. Yeah, I, I and, and they do walk a little slow in those yeah. <laughs> those original yeah. games. Um, which would you prefer? Like, say the, the Pixel Remaster series is out now. It seems like you're pretty positive on it. Yeah. Which would you prefer in terms of a remake of Final Fantasy VI? Would you prefer the HD 2D style, or would you prefer Ooh. like the Final Fantasy VII remake approach of like just reimagining it as a modernized game? It's funny, me and Marcus were kind of talking about this too on our NGT. I think I would go, now that the Pixel Remaster exists, I think I would go the Final Fantasy VII um, remake style. Only because I do like HD2D, but kind of the main reason I wanted HD2D was to give me that like modern Pixel look. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm satisfied on that front here. Whereas a remake would be very cool. I don't know if I want them to go as far as Seven, where... um, they are, you know, doing drastic changes to storylines potentially. But I wouldn't mind, you know, uh, controlling Terra in a Magitek mech, like in real time as like from a third person view and fighting with action and stuff. With those visuals. Yeah, it'd be great. And if you don't like it, um, you know, the original classic versions exist. And then also this Pixel remaster exists. Um, so I'd be, I think I'd be really cool with it. Ideally, I get all of them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Square Enix is going to greenlight all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but w- if there was any Final Fantasy that needed to get a remake in the Seven style, like with those visuals, that kind of like modernized action and everything, which would you pick? Oh, gosh. Because like I know you love 13, you love 12. Uh, I wouldn't but pick 13 or 12. Those are both modern enough that I don't think that they really warrant it. Yeah, and part of the charm for me with 12 is its combat, which I don't want that changed. I like its kind of MMO-ish nature. 13, same way. I think 13's combat system rules the uh, active time battle. Oh, gosh. Um... I mean, six would be great. One is not necessary. We kind of have that with Stranger of Paradise in a weird way. Um, I think maybe... Uh, my, my mind's going to 10 because I, I love that world so much and it'd be cool to experience it in a new way. 10 is, I think, the, the last Final Fantasy game that really warrants a remake at this point. Yeah, and I again, ten is one of my top three games of all time, and I just played ten two. Have you played ten two? I have played most of it, but I have not actually beaten okay. it. Okay, because it seems like if you love thirteen, like the battle yeah. system seems very, very kind of seminal for 13's battle system. I had a good time with it. I was playing it most recently during my last year of college, and then college started kicking my butt, and I just that game kind of went to the wayside. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I recently replayed the, or I recently played the HD remaster of Ten Two for the first time, and I got all the way through it. And yeah, I think that you would enjoy it if you picked up that remaster, or if you didn't already pick up that remaster and uh, you fired it up. I think that you'd have a good time. I've been thinking about playing Ten. I'm I'm in a very very big Final Fantasy mood just after the recent like, Final <laughs> Fantasy Sixteen State of Play, and that game's coming out soon. Like. I've got these pixel remasters. I'm playing Final Fantasy 14 again, the MMO. Oh I downloaded God. Final Fantasy 15 literally yesterday because I was like, maybe I'll just play the beginning again to kind of 
I love know, that game so much. Yeah. And I know a lot of people crap all over it, and I understand like where they're coming from. But yeah. man, do I love that game! If you play like just the first few hours, like I'm, because that, that's kind of what I'm thinking about doing. That's a great time. That that opening is awesome. Um, and yeah, I just like I just can't get enough Final Fantasy right now. So I was looking at my Switch version of Ten Two and Ten because last time I played those was on Vita. Oh um, yeah, and I'm like, man, maybe I boot up a uh, Ten again. What do what I did where you start at ten play all the way through that do watch the uh, eternal calm cinematic that's included in the HD collection. And then that, that bridges the gap between 10 and 10 two and then play through 10 two, but use a guide on 10 two. Uh, that's one thing I will say is it's use funny. A- you, you mentioned a guide. I actually own a physical strategy guide of uh, oh 10 two. Yeah. Then do it. But okay. Well, yeah. Again, do it as, <laughs> as I tell you, like all these things that I, I don't have time to play. <laughs> yeah. I but, can beat. And, I think I can beat like what nine Final Fantasy games before Tears of the Kingdom in two or three weeks. <laughs> Should be easy. Yeah, there's nothing else coming. out. It's not like Star Wars Jedi Survivor or anything is coming out, and you don't have any other Gosh. obligations. Well, I gotta work. buy. I gotta buy a different PS5 to play that, so I can have room to play it. Oh no! But anything else we need to say about the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series? I know we kind of took a detour there, but I think we we covered this pretty well. Yeah, if you're if you're interested, I'll just say like. Unless you want to put in some work, you should probably just go digital. Um, physical has been sold out with Square Enix uh, for a long time. And then there's like um, one other side. I think PlayAsia is sometimes selling physical editions, but yeah, you know, it's like trying to buy a PS5. They go quick. It's impossible to get. So like, if you're like, oh, I would really love to have these games, um, just you might want to save yourself the trouble and the heartbreak and just buy the digital versions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you might get lucky, but also you might just be refreshing very often. Or I don't yeah. even know if Wario sixty four is still on Twitter. I, I've I've completely detached myself from he Twitter. He is, yeah, he is. But um, he's he's a must follow if you still partake yes. in that website. Um, and yeah, you can't. Build- these games aren't. They're like not being sold in any other stores. It's weird. Like just Square Enix and then seemingly Play Asia, which oh, I don't think is like a stateside. Um, like no, website. I think it's yeah. an import. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'd love to pick this up in GameStop or Walmart or Target or whatever, but uh, it's just not a thing. Yeah, well, I guess that digital might be the way to go if you're looking for this, but that also allows you to pick them up individually. Yes. Uh, but both Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster Series and Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp are available on Switch now. Wes, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at LeBlancWes. Um, and you can find my voice sometimes on the Game Informer YouTube channel. Uh, again, go check out the uh, latest new gameplay today where me and Marcus of Game Informer talk about this Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster collection. And then, of course, you can see my words in the Game Informer magazines and on our website every day. Well, Wes, thank you so much for joining me. We are going to take one final break for this episode. And when we get back, Kyle Hilliard is going to join me for a short discussion about an anniversary that happened this week. We will be right back. In lieu of Definitive Ranking and eShop Gem of the Week this episode, we are going to talk about a Nintendo anniversary that just hit yesterday. Joining me for that is Kyle Hilliard. Kyle, welcome back to All Things Nintendo. Was I gone last week? You were gone for so long. I I think you were quite a lot. You're so demanding of my time. (laughs) Kyle, you know very well the anniversary that we are talking about, but I haven't really mentioned it to the listeners yet, unless they've read the show notes. 
That anniversary is the Nintendo Labo, which turned five years old the day of this recording. And uh, for those who don't remember, Labo came, it's basically a, uh, a, a bunch of different sets that let you build cardboard accessories. And then you could plug the Joy-Cons in and just basically do like these weird little like mini games and like experiments. And when I asked you to be on for this topic, you mentioned that you might have played it more than anybody else. Why was that? Well, because I like reviewed it all. <laughs> <laughs> but was, was it there any like to. was there any curiosity on your end, or were you just kind of oh, like handed yeah. the, the 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 assignment? No, 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 absolutely. The moment it was announced, I was like, "This is weird and cool. This is like the kind of bizarre Nintendo stuff that I love." Right, like. The most recent example of this is uh, the fitness one. I don't know why I can't. The name is not Ring Fit Adventure. Ring Fit Adventure. Absolutely. And the Mario Kart, you know, the real world Mario Kart. Like, I love those kind of things that like I just never in a million years would have guessed were coming from Nintendo. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was I was fascinated by it when they released it. I went on maybe my most unique work trip ever to check it out like pre-release like we did a big preview for it mm-hmm. and the thing that was so weird about it and cool was nintendo like i, I they invited my kid to come with me oh, like they're like right. come check it out and bring your kids so they can check it out because it was very much like focused towards younger players so that was cool to like have her come with me and be like yeah this is kind of what i do for work and i got to sort of see her reaction to this labo thing and then when it came out i reviewed it properly and even uh, messed with a bunch of the follow-up things like i don't know if i would go so far as to call myself a fan like i wouldn't really call myself like a big labo defender it's not like some hidden gem that you know not enough people played and it should have been the next revolution like i think it was an interesting experiment that worked sometimes and other times didn't but like I, I will always be appreciative of it, and I'm glad that it exists, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it was announced in January of 2018, as I believe a part of the first Nintendo Direct of that year. And I guess Reggie fils was the person introducing it, and he said, quote, Labo is unlike anything we've done before. And I think that's pretty fair. <laughs> I know. It's like those, those sort of statements that publishers and developers make are you, you usually write them off immediately and you can recall like a dozen examples of <laughs> variations of this thing that you're claiming is unlike anything you've done before. But this, I think they earned it. Like this was totally unexpected and bizarre and weird. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with Labo, I kind of gave a brief like mention of what exactly it is, but can you talk at like a super high level about how it worked? And we'll go into like the individual kits after this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so yeah, Labo was car uh it was like a creation car like you basically you got these sheets of cardboard and then you would the software was basically like base like similar to like building a lego set where it would give you these really detailed instructions and you would fold cardboard and not even like tape it together but like lock it together in different ways to build contraptions that you could insert joy cons into to interact with in weird ways like you could make a piano where where you would make all the individual keys at a cardboard and you could play piano i made a fishing rod and you would put the joy con in the fishing rod and you could play a fishing game and there were there were a couple of driving games as well you would build a steering wheel and you could put the joy cons in there and you know drive around with a cardboard steering wheel and that kind of thing yeah and they were called toy cons right 
Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, gosh. It's and been a while. It's been it's five like each, years, I would say. Yeah, five years, exactly. And <laughs> so, yeah, they were called Toy Cons, each individual little like good name. build that you did, which was yeah, a very good name. And uh, they actually encouraged you to decorate the kits with like markers and stickers to kind of make them your own, which I thought was kind of cool. Because like, you, you could have definitely imagined a world where like a publisher would be too precious about this stuff and be like not advertising that. Like, obviously, you can do whatever you want with like if you buy like a an N64 cartridge, people were like drawing their names on the back and putting yeah. stickers on it and stuff. But like Nintendo was ever, never like, hey, you should do this with your N64 cartridges. Well, this, they even had seemed... they even had instructions like when you were building the thing to be like, use markers, uh, don't use paint. And here's why. And it would show like because paint would dry out the cardboard and make it like bend and fold and stuff like that. So they really thought about all those uh, elements of it. Oh, interesting. I, I So I never actually got my hands on Labo, aside from maybe like in passing when you had the the kits out at your desk in the office. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things that everyone stopped by and were like, OK, I got to at least touch this thing and see what it is. You know? <laughs> so uh, there were several kits that you could buy. At launch, there were only two. So there was the variety kit, which I think was like kind of the mainstay one that, that had two remote control cars a fishing rod, a toy piano that you mentioned, and a motorbike, and then a house. So those are all the different toy cons you could have. And the and piano an up- was like far and away kind of the most interesting, impressive thing of the of the bundle. Yeah, and, and that allows you to play music and they also interact with like the, the, the software in different ways. I would and also you- suggest you Google, I think IGN had it, John Carpenter plays Labo. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Halloween theme on the Labo piano, and he was he was not into it. He did not like it. It's a great video. (laughs) So yeah, those those came out. I know that there were some games that actually supported Labo. So like there was a fishing game that supported the fishing rod uh, thing. I I forget what the game was called, but it was like a third party indie fishing game. And they were like, yeah, you can use the the Labo fishing rod uh, toy con to play this game. Oh, I had no idea. That's cool. The motorbike uh, toy con from the variety kit. There was an update for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe to let you control your, your cart using that toy con. Yeah, right. Why not? You know? Yeah, sure. And then the other one that came out at that same time at the launch was a uh, robot kit. And that was a kind of like a big like backpack that you built and you put it on your back. And then there were like these pulleys that you could throw like punching motions and that would control the robot that was in, in the software. But like, wasn't there like a thing that you put on your head and everything as well? Yeah, you would. It would basically it was like a pulley system in the backpack and then you would attach ropes to your arms and legs and you would put on this little visor to kind of just like give you the effect that you were like looking through like a hole you know i went back and read my reviews that i had written for these kits when they came out and i was i did not like that one Um, no (laughs) that one was like the weakest like that was it was was pretty funny to read it because i was very much like don't get this one this one like is like the least fun to make and works the least like just go get the piano the piano is the way more interesting and fun one Okay, well, I mean, I remember you being actually not super hyped on the robot kit, but yeah, the piano, you you definitely took two. Then there were three that came out afterwards. Did you play any of the after, uh, that the post-launch kits that they uh, got out? Yes, and now you'll have to refresh my memory, because I know the third one was like... Car? There was a vehicle kit. So vehicle kit? that yeah. came out a few Post- months after, and that had uh, steering mechanisms for three different vehicles. There was a car, which again was usable in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and then there was a plane and a submarine. So it was like different, yeah. like kind of like 
cockpit type situations for do you those. remember do you know what the second one was i don't you probably have some notes in front of you there was uh the vr kit is that the second one that was the well so there was the variety kit the robot kit and then the the first post-launch one was the vehicle kit okay and then there was the vr kit which let you build like a cardboard yeah. vr headset <laughs> well before we talk about that i do want to highlight the vehicle kit okay. which i think is the best labo thing if you had some weird itch to check out Labo and you wanted to go on eBay, the best one to get is the Vehicle Kit 3 because the game that was included with it was actually like pretty fully featured and interesting. It was like a big open world that you could drive around and do a bunch of tasks and stuff like that. Um, that one I liked quite a bit. I never gave it like a proper review, but I know that we have like an old you know episode of New Game Play today featuring uh, Jeff Cork and, and Leo Vader. Um, where I showed off a bunch of it and I kind of watched a few minutes of it in preparation for this. And I was, and I was like, man, this thing was actually pretty cool. Like, you know, watching it back again. Uh, so that one was, was interesting, but the VR one is maybe the most interesting of all the lab yes. stuff, you know, <laughs> great. I did not use the word like good or exciting. I just interesting. It's such a weird thing because it's just like a, a literally a VR headset and, you put your switch screen in front of like, you basically attach it to this VR headset. Yes. And yeah, then, it's like, it's like a, 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 something you hold up to your face. It's like a, 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 a Kate, like a face mask that you can put the switch in and then you hold it up to your face. It's very strange. It's very virtual boy esque, which is a very yes. weird thing for Nintendo want to like revisit. Right. Yeah. And like, they were always pretty bullish on vr when you know like right when oculus was coming out and playstation was messing with vr and microsoft was developing these relationships with oculus where you they like if you bought an oculus set for a while it came with an xbox controller and stuff like that oh yeah and you know during that time people would ask nintendo like what's your vr thing gonna be and their response is always like oh, nothing like we don't care <laughs> you know and but then this came out and it was surprising so this worked with Breath of the Wild, Mario Odyssey, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, and Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker, but like in very weird and limited capacities, right? Right, except for Breath of the Wild. The I you could play the full game in VR basically. And was it first person then? No, no, it's just it's basically you just play third person Breath of the Wild with like stereoscopic 3D. And then like as if you moved your head, you could like kind of move the camera around. Hmm. Um, but it's like and then, yeah, the Mario Odyssey thing was very much just like a little side mode, which if you boot up Mario Odyssey now, it'll it still has that on the like the, the start menu. It'll be like, hey, check out the Labo version or the Labo VR version. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like yeah. uh, Ben Hansen at Minmax was talking about how with the Mario movie coming out, he he was showing his nephew's Mario Odyssey like, you know, six months ago or something. And that was like a big, bold sticker on the start menu. It's like Labo VR. <laughs> it's like, still there, you know. Yeah, I think he actually may have brought that up when he was on this show. It was like, it's weird that like one of the best Mario games of all time just has this big thing on the main menu about labo vr and it's just right. there forever <laughs> i know yeah i did now mario you said mario kart and what was the other one no so oh, for Captain vr it's Toad. breath of the wild mario odyssey smash ultimate that's the one i never tried okay smash or maybe i did jeez and then captain toad's treasure tracker as well definitely never tried that but apparently yeah, like, the, the captain toad treasure tracker just let you kind of like 
get in like uh, like down in the like in the level itself and just look around the environments i don't know if it okay. actually was like playable in that yeah that's kind of fun yeah breath of the wild was like it charming but also kind of stupid because like you the 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 con- the contraption does not strap to your head like every other vr headset so you actually had to the controllers were like attached to the side and then you had to kind of push it against your face <laughs> and like the only frankly reasonable way way that you could actually play breath of the wild using labo vr was to lay on your back and put the like and rest the headset on your face but then that would limit your movement like you wouldn't really be able to take advantage of the vrness of it all and look around like it's one of those novelties that i was like i'm glad they took the time to do this but no reasonable person would ever play this for more than a few (laughs) minutes I mean, that was, I remember walking into the bullpen when you were checking this out and you were laying completely flat on the ground with the Labo and the switch attached to your face. Right. Yes. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And I do, I do remember, I think it was, uh, Andre Seegers from game explain, I think had, he had a video at the time that was really like, he had a way that he really liked it. He was super into it. And I, <laughs> I was always like, all right, man, you do you. <laughs> So those are the first four kits that came out. There was a fifth kit that I actually did not know existed. And I only found this through research and I don't see it anywhere. So I'm actually looking up how much these kits are going for on Amazon right now. And you can get the the vehicle drive kit, which you were pretty stoked on. That's I think the best one, honestly. Yeah. $32 right now on Amazon. And it has prime overnight shipping according to my computer. And then the variety kit, was 120 according to Amazon. Now it's down to 110, so minor discount there. And then the robot kit looks like it's 29 bucks. Okay, all so those these have... are not these are not like rare like overpriced things on eBay. I, I they were either yeah. going to be one way or the other. I thought they yeah. were either going to be like, all right, this is now 700 dollars, or it's now like barely anything. God, I'm I'm kind of honestly I'm sort of eyeing this VR one right now. How much are you seeing the VR one? Because I've I've seen seen one 300 on Amazon. I've seen one for like 65, but the box is all beat up because it's just so weird that it's kind of one of those things. It's like, I wish I kind of had, you know, just because it's so strange. (laughs) Got to play Mario Odyssey in it. I don't think I ever messed with Smash Brothers. I wonder what that was like. Yeah, I don't know. The VR Smash Brothers stuff was. So the fifth one that I had no idea about and I don't see it anywhere on on Amazon is the Toycon Garage, which I don't. Maybe it's not a kit. Maybe it's just a, a software you can download and then. Because what the whole point of it was, you could create and program your own Toycon. Right. So this it was included with every, um, Labo thing you would. Buy. Oh, okay. Like if I'm remembering correctly, I it wasn't. It was like a soft. It was like software that let you be more creative with it. It was like mm-hmm. um. It wasn't like a you would get a new set of cardboard things. It was more like you can use these tools to do weird stuff. And it was just sort of like included with every Labo piece of software, I think. Gotcha. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, it, this actually went on to inspire the non-Labo software known as Game Builder Garage. Right. That oh. came out in 2021. And I remember being pretty excited about that. And then I never fired it up. <laughs> I... Because it was like a simple like programming yeah. software, right? I sat down with my kiddo and we started it 
but it the tutorials are dense and heavy up top and it doesn't let you just jump into like playing around with the tools and getting lost. you know what i mean like it just it wouldn't even let you try to mess around like it was like you have to do four hours of tutorials before we even give you the tools and uh i me and i think a lot of other people as well as a result kind of bounced off of it and didn't really give it the chance it maybe deserved I mean, didn't Dreams do it that way as well, where it's like, yeah, you're going to just have to play through these tutorials if you um, want to get anything? I mean, that's a good question. I think Dreams, gosh, I think it would at, like it let it let you off the leash pretty early. I think if I remember correctly, it's been a long time. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, then, then it's a shame that they're starting to sunset that because it seems like people really embraced those creation tools and they created some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, um, some really cool stuff in dreams. Didn't yeah. seem, I never heard of anything coming out of game builder garage, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. Right. When it launched, there were a couple of weird, interesting things. Someone fully made like F zero, like the original oh, wow. Nintendo F zero <laughs> using the tools or something, which is like, that's one of those things that's like, Oh, that's a really, it's cool that you can do that. And it's like, but now what? kind of is like the sort of the reaction but yeah never never really found it's sort of uh reddit it's subreddit kind of th area for people to just like go crazy with it you know because yeah. that was always the coolest part of mario maker right is like oh all these people are making these really cool intricate like concepts within the mario creation tool set like it would have been awesome if like that same subset of people kind of made the jump to game builder garage and started sharing games that you could play that would have been yeah. really awesome to have that community that initially backed mario maker back on the wii u because that was when it was really popping which by the way that. same thing for the for the labo garage because like the kind of weird stuff you could make was was really interesting like you could use the the ir cameras on the the joy cons and like like they when they were first showing it off and they showed like some of the things they had made internally just using the tools they had like they made like a vending machine out of cardboard and stuff like that and i remember like when labo was coming out i was like i really want to see what creative kids do with this because it's a much more tactile version of creativity as opposed to like little big planet at the time or mario maker at the time right mm -hmm. where it was like instead of making software it was like well we actually have hardware combined with software where you can make physical real world things using like the packages your amazon products come in um, yeah. but that just never really uh came to exist in a real way you know maybe there was some of it but yeah i haven't really looked into like what people were doing with like the kind of the creativity side of the toy cons and everything but i bet there's some really fascinating stuff out there i hope so yeah so when you look back at labo five years later What's kind of like the first thing that pops into your mind about like, oh, that thing? I, I, I reflect on it positively, right? I like how weird it was. I like that nothing like it existed beforehand and nothing will exist like it ever again. I don't think being maybe being too pessimistic, but I just like how the thing that always sticks out to me is like, God, that was weird. What a weird, unique thing that only a company like Nintendo would invest in. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> well, that's the thing about Nintendo is that that leads me to the final question I have for you here is like, where does Nintendo go from here with this concept? Because they're not one to like introduce a thing and then never revisit it again. It's like if something fails or something doesn't really get the, the, the market share that it, they thought it would, 
usually they'll put it in their pocket and then it could be up to 20 years later, they resurface it with like a, like a, an iteration on that same basic idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would be very curious to know how it's sold, you know, like, I, I wonder if, if like internally, if Nintendo looks at it as a failure or just like met expectations, but didn't sort of blow up the world. Cause like ring fit, it, it was a huge success. And as far mm-hmm. as I know, continues to be a huge success. It's sold very well, continues to sell very well. And it's one of those games that lingers like every couple of months, I'll see someone I know on Twitter or something being like, all right, I'm going to play ring fit. You know, I'm going to dive into ring fit again. And I, you know, Labo never became that, right? It was not this sort of like surprise success. But in the future, I mean, the thing, the best one, like I said, was the uh, the vehicle kit, which was like a, a dedicated game. Mm-hmm. I would like to see another stab at something like that, right? Like a dedicated game with a with a surprise Labo kit that like, and the game is really interesting and cool. Like I'm less excited about like now you can play Breath of the Wild in VR. Now you can use a, a steering wheel to play Mario Kart. Like I, I'm more interested in something that is from the ground up made with Labo in mind and takes advantage of Labo's weirdness fully rather than it being sort of a novel novelty tacked onto a game that I already enjoy. So my whole, honestly, I would get excited if tomorrow they said, Hey, if they had a Nintendo Direct that, and they were like, "Hey, here's a new Labo kit," I would be like, "What? Really? I would be your dream order next Labo kit." Something like a game that is like puzzle solving. Like you have to build some kind of cardboard contraption, and then the game is a series of puzzles that you have to solve using your contraption that you built. Interesting. Like, like yeah. environmental puzzles or something like right, like Zelda puzzles, if I'm being honest. But like, I don't want a Zelda Labo game. I wouldn't say no to that. Maybe that could be paper Zelda, right? Like truly paper um, <laughs> as opposed to paper Mario. But uh, something that's like, let's let like makes you build something. And then in the game, as you play, you sort of have the cardboard laid out in front of you and you have to manipulate it in strange ways to solve puzzles. I think that would be really cool. Like, cause I've done driving and flying, you know, using cardboard tools and I've done creative things using cardboard tools, like playing piano music and stuff. But I would love to have like just a series of boxes in front of me that I have to arrange in certain ways to solve puzzles in a game with a, that has like an interesting story. You know, that, that would be my weird <laughs> pie in the sky hope for the future of Labo. Portal three coming exclusively to Nintendo Labo. Yeah. Like you got to put this cardboard key in this box and then you got to roll it uh, over twice, like a dice or something. You know, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not a game designer and I'm, not, <laughs> I'm certainly not a Nintendo game designer, but certainly not. You, yeah, they wouldn't you have you. No, but Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to reminisce on the phenomenon, the worldwide <laughs> sensation that was Nintendo Labo. Anything else we need to say before we uh, wrap up here? Uh, no, no, Labo. It's a, a weird good time that I hope is not dead, but I suspect is probably dead. Rest in peace. Kyle, thank you so much. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor if you haven't already, throw All Things Nintendo a five star review and hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at All Things Nintendo at GameInformer.com or you can hit me up on Instagram at Brian P. Shea. You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel even just for one month. Kyle, plug something, would you? Uh, Game Informer's TikTok account. Go do that one. 
That's our show for this week. Thank you again for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time.